This is episode 155 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Linger, joined today by Brad Ford, Paul Noonan, and Ryan Top. We got the whole gang back together, and uh, we're recording this kind of early just so we can get out of here and and hopefully watch the Packers game. How are we <laughs> feeling about that today? Uh, good. I've, I'm feeling pretty energetic. James, I can get some like NPR sense from you today. You're like very like... And today I'm, trying, on the I'm podcast. trying to be to be chill about it because uh, last night the Brewers game, Saturday night Brewers game, kind of had me riled up a little bit. So I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to not great take a calm demeanor here before we get riled up all over again. But yep. oh. well, so, thankfully I'm constantly riled, so I I got the energy for you. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it's nice to have football back. I'm really looking forward to it. Like I really like them against the Vikings, but it, you know they're close enough talent wise that. I shouldn't be as confident as I am, so I'll be disappointed if they lose, and they might. But uh, so far, so it's just nice to have football back and a day-long activity you can enjoy in your own home without having to deal with the outside world. It is interesting that noted Aaron Rodgers hater Paul Noonan is wearing a uh, an Aaron Rodgers jersey right now. Mm, interesting. Well, and, and I wrote much this week on um, a lot of articles that were written about how Aaron Rodgers is actually not bad. Um, some of them actually very well researched and put together. So yeah, check those out. The big one was by Mike Sando right, at The Athletic, who did breakdown of his own work on all of Aaron Rodgers' incompletions of the last year um, and cross-referenced it with Sports Info Solutions, sort of um, kind of war stats that they do. Uh, I don't know a better way to explain it where they sort of break down credit per play and assign it to all 22 people on the field. And uh, they agree that Aaron Rodgers um, is just basically let down by a supporting cast more than anybody else, which is good for Aaron Rodgers, but they didn't change the supporting cast at all other, other than getting rid of Geronimo Allison, which is good because he's terrible. But um, and, and Jimmy Graham also good because not only is he terrible, but now he's terrible on a division rival. Um, but uh that, that that gives me some hope. That's good. I'm glad well, Aaron might not be terrible. I think you underestimate what the Packers did for Aaron this offseason. You big see, on, he played on Josiah Deguera. Uh, no, <laughs> it's they they played. You know, Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if you've heard this narrative before, but man, no one plays with a chip on his shoulder like Aaron oh, yeah. Rodgers. Yep. So they drafted a quarterback as his replacement. Now he's cranky. Now you got cranky Aaron Rodgers. Then they don't draft. It's always best. Yeah. Yeah. You don't draft a wide receiver. (laughs) Now he's upset. You know, he's full mad now. (laughs) So you're playing a full 16 games of mad Aaron Rodgers. Really, it's the smartest move you could make. Yeah. So just real quick, too. We are recording this before the Packers play. And Mm -hmm. I I meant to tweet this, but now I won't have a chance because I forgot. Um, They've had Jay Sternberger as the last tight end on the depth chart all preseason so far. And I want to just really quick predict that that's a lie and that he's actually going to lead the tight ends in snaps today. And they're just screwing around by uh, making the Vikings prepare for Mercedes Lewis instead. Well, I mean, who would know, given that the uh, the reporters exactly. are not allowed to be There's reporters. There's no reason not to do it. If, if Craig Council was the manager of the Packers, he would do it because that's how the, pe- the Brewers roll. So I, I'm just going to say that's going to happen and be a surprise to everybody. Uh, no, but, it's the Robert Tanyan year. It's not Big Bob's here. You can't block. You got to block in this <laughs> offense. All right. Brilliant move by Matt LaFleur, making Mike Zimmer plan for Mercedes Lewis, apparently. <laughs> so that's a lot of a lot of time invested there. It's All right. Uh, no, no. It actually does matter. Mercedes Lewis is really good at blocking and not nothing else. And 
if you don't prepare for a down the seam tight end, it actually does matter. So. Uh, nothing else. Have you seen him catch a wide open red zone pass? <laughs> he does that. Because <laughs> everybody's so surprised when he goes uh, into a route. All right. Before this turns into reporting as eligible version two, we'll, we'll get to the brewers here. But first, we are sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. You know they're great beers like Black Party and the flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. The next time you're in Madison, stop by their brewery on Kinsman Boulevard that's on the east side, or you can look for Carbon 4 products at your local grocery store. You also get 20% off when you uh, order some Carbon 4 merch online just by listening to our podcast. You can use our promo code MKE Tailgate when you go to carbon4.com. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support our podcast network at patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. For just five bucks a month, our ball and glove and above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and Brad, as well as Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods. You get a preview of the Packers game every week now that we're in football season. Uh, and we mentioned we, we recorded this before the uh, Packers played the Vikings. Uh, but if you got that $5 a month, you know, uh, ball and glove patron, you can find out why Paul thinks the Packers are just going to annihilate the Vikings today and why <laughs> the Vikings are bad and all of that fun stuff. So can, can I guess maybe overstating it a tad, but yes, is the answer Kirk Cousins? <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, Kirk Cousins, I think the, the popular perception of him as sort of a mediocre quarterback, I think are mostly correct. Um, but there's a certain suite of teams out there, the uh, 49ers, Titans, the ones who run play action more than 30% of the time are just really good at turning Kirk Cousins into elite producers, even if they're not actually that good. And he's in that situation. The, uh, the Vikings are in the 30% play action club with about six other teams. And uh, those quarterbacks produce well, despite not being that talented. So, and we'll continue to do so. And this is why you play Dalvin Cook, despite only playing 20 games, 80 million. No, you do that because you let uh, Mike Zimmer have too much control of your front <laughs> office. That's what I, <laughs> anyway. This is all just sorry to turn hey, this into the Packers podcast. It's this is all just well, you stuff know, we've been talking about in our uh, our chat. Yeah, so no I've been I've been prodding Paul all week. Like, yeah. okay, Camara <laughs> sign. How much is Aaron Jones gonna get now? Oh, if you pay him, I'll be so mad. It's not a rough ball thing to do, though. I don't think they will. Like. The the AJ first of all the Vikings have a perfectly good backup to Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison who's excellent but I think when you like the the Packers are much more like um, careful with their money they're not going to give him I I don't think they're going to give Jones a ton of money I know that there's been rumors that they are Jones says that they're they've had good talks maybe I'll be let down here but like you draft a running back so you don't have to do this and that's what I still what I think will happen I I I'm still surprised the Vikings did it too so what do I know. Maybe the reason we're focusing really hard on this is because we don't have, like, we're coming off such a low. <laughs> <laughs> that stupid game. I feel like I bash Hater on here every week because I feel like he has problems every day. He's like the anti-smoke. He's usually okay. Uh, he, he gets wor- Well, I guess that's the same as smoke. He gets worse as he gets closer to the show. And then we have the show. And then he's fine for a little while again. All right, so we had all this Packers talk partially because I am just trying to avoid talking about what happened last night with the Brewers. It was very frustrating to see. I know uh, Ryan has a fun story about where he was when Jason Hayward crushed Josh Hader's hopes and dreams. I said a swear on Zoom and my mom got mad at me. And then she saw what (laughs) I was swearing at. (laughs) Then she understood. Josh Hader blowed the... Blowed, that's not a word. (laughs) Blew the save. He did what... He did what you just did to that phrase to the same. Exactly. Exactly. He really messed things up. Uh, so, yeah, you know, that 
Cubs got a couple singles before Jason Hayward of all people, uh, who's actually having a good year. I can't I can't disparage good. him too much. But Josh Hader gave a left-handed hitter, uh, fastball low and inside, and he just promptly put it into the picnic area and in actually no, he hit Toyota territory. It yeah, was, he, it was he a bomb. Hit it, the Rav, so or whatever. Yeah, there now it was a bomb. So it overall not a great night for Josh Hader. And then some guy I'd never heard of hit a home run off of him. Exactly. Yeah, it, it, it was uh, two home runs, and that extra run seemed kind of big before the the Brewers rally there in the bottom of the ninth kind of fizzled out. But uh, kind of another, I guess, worrisome outing for Josh Hader. Uh, you guys know I haven't been high on how he's been doing all year, despite you know the the hitless streak and all that stuff. So I guess uh, question number one. I'll pose for the group is what the hell is this problem this year? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, control walking six and a half per nine. And when you don't have control and you're like already questionable control is worse than it's ever been. It's going to lead to significant problems. But I think the hardest thing with Josh Hader this year is because we're looking at only just under 14 innings of sample size evaluating him because he has either been completely miserable or amazing as all can be is so hard. You don't really have like the bulk of analytics you need to accurately analyze what's happening here. We can look at, okay, well, the guy hasn't thrown his change up at all this year. And in past years, he's actually done that um, or his sinker, but he's only done that a minimal amount of times, like we're talking six times a season. Uh, we can look at, well, he changed his uh, slider percentage. We see a, a dip, a slight dip in his four seam velocity. Um, but without that bulk, we're really looking at kind of an odd thing to analyze. And the harder thing is because of the hit the streak, we're also looking at a substantially lower amount of contact balls to really analyze what's happening with the balls that players are getting to. So you can see like a hard hit percentage of 26.9, which is a phenomenal rate to limit Mm -hmm. hitters to in terms of making contact. But you're working off of such a low sample size and quantity in terms of 26 batted balls. That's not a lot at all. And you have three barrels. So you have really like three that have been hit exceptionally well. You have one blow up where the blow up doesn't really only relies on control where he walks five consecutive. Well, I think he had an out in there, but he walks five out of six hitters. And then you have an outing like this where he just gets smashed. So it's really hard to analyze outside of the one thing we can see that's substantially different is his control and his walking of players. Other than that, it's really hard to analyze exactly what the specific issue is with his performance this year i just think he shouldn't be the closer like he he has historically performed best when he's been when he's gone you know multiple innings or like 35 pitches and then had a day or two off and uh, i i just don't think it jives with his recovery to be like the guy who can who goes back to back it it mm-hmm. He's always worse when he's in this role. Um, and maybe that's just getting older and getting you know more wear and tear on his arm. But I feel like with his weird usage availability that you really waste him by not getting just maximum WP out of, pay out of him every night. And putting him in a normal closer role both makes him less effective and 
doesn't get the most out of him and just situationally like a lot of brewer closers could have finished the game last night they had a two-run lead not a one-run lead and a, a lot of people probably would have been fine uh, w- once he starts looking not himself it, really i think it's time to go get him right away like i joked he's kind of like java chamberlain these days but you can kind of tell when he's falling apart pretty pretty quickly like after he got in a little bit of trouble, did anybody think he was getting out unscathed? Because I didn't, especially once uh, once a couple of lefties mashed him. So, um, I mean, to be fair, he has kind of worked himself into trouble a couple of times this year and managed to tightrope his way out. But yeah, I once they start getting base hits on him, I, I base don't know hits if is the thing. If he's yeah. walking people, um, that's a different problem. That, that's yeah. another that's another separate problem, and that maybe he can get out of because there he's still missing bats and you know even a little effectively wild. Once people make contact, though, like that's no good. That's very bad. Um, he relies on missing bats so much that so much goes wrong when he's not doing it. it then you get walks and you get hits, and you know they, they, he's a fly ball pitcher in the extreme, uh, and that's what you get. So um, I, I wish they'd go back to firemaning him. I know he doesn't like that. He doesn't get saves. He doesn't get money. He's. I just don't think he's as good of a closer as he is a, a middle-inning relief maestro fireman guy. Yeah, we do have a question, a Patreon question about that that we'll get to in a minute. But first, I guess, Ryan, your take on what what are you seeing with Hader and what's, I guess, are you seeing anything that's an issue right now? Yeah, I mean, he is not getting the swings outside of the zone that he was generating. And we're back down to, I guess, in 2018, he was only generating an outside the zone swing rate of 29%. Now it's 26%. But in 2019, it was up to 36.8. He was generating a lot more of that. It's such a weird profile because Hader is so unlike really any pitcher we've seen before because, like you said, he does have these absolutely ridiculous numbers where when guys are making contact off of him, they tend to make good hard contact. And I was looking, I was trying to see StatCast doesn't have the percentile rankings for 2020 up for him, so I, I couldn't look at that. But like looking at last year, you have like an expected weighted on base average. He was 99th percentile. His hard hit percent was ninth. His barrel percent was the worst. He was in the one percentile for it. Like, how do you square these things against each other? It's so bizarre. And I don't know, honestly, what the answer is. I I think that there could be something to the idea that you don't want to have him used on back to back days. I think that there is there is some truth to that and that it, like in an ideal world. But I don't know if that was the issue last night. Like you have Jason Hayward, who has been you know pretty mediocre to bad for a long time. And I was not concerned about that matchup in the slightest. Josh Hader against a lefty like I'm never going to like worry about that unless the lefty happens to be Anthony Rizzo because he seems to <laughs> have even like- then like. So yeah, every every pinch hitter the Cubs were setting up there were left-handed. So I was like, okay, maybe he's still got this. Even the Rizzo at bat, he got him down. I think it was 0-2, and he threw him a slider outside of the zone, and Rizzo still managed to like poke it into right field. So that wasn't even a bad at bat. But yeah, uh, yeah, it, it, Hayward. I wasn't. I was not expecting Jason Hayward to hit a three-run home run, to say the least. If you look at like the contact that he gave up to give up those the hits that put those two runners on for Hayward, like you said he did just like poke a ball over into the outfield. Like that was not, he wasn't giving up like super hard contact. It was just, he was giving up contact, which you don't expect against lefties basically ever. So that just, you know, that didn't really compute. It's, 
it probably would be best if they could get him back into that role where they basically don't want to use him on back-to-back days at all. But that drove people crazy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It, we had endless debates about that over the last few years. Like, why is Josh Hader sitting? Why isn't he doing anything? Like, if he's in the prescribed closers role, well, you know when you're going to use him. Like, if he's available that day, at least, you're going to use him in the ninth inning to get the last three outs of a close game. You, There's a prescribed role. If he's in that fireman role, it just, I don't know, for my own, <laughs> my own sanity, it's sort of, prefer he not be there because then it's just every day why aren't we using hater why aren't we using hater why aren't we using hater and it's that that just gets old really fast so i mean i still do it just now i know that he's not coming in <laughs> extreme small sample size alert because you know really pitchers in short season is the the most of it but he actually has reverse platoon splits this year he has a 750 ops against lefties and a 524 against righties that is not a lot of lefties, by the way. It's a very small amount of lefties. I was going to say, is that all the Hayward Hayward home run? Because <laughs> I feel like I actually think the Rez, Rizzo and Hayward hits were the first hits he's given up against lefties this year. I could be wrong on that, though. Well, he's it, given yeah, up it, hardly any hits, period. So, Yep. Yeah. It, it's entirely possible that those are the first couple hits. So, But, yeah, <laughs> you are right about that. There's no way the Cubs could have seen that in advance because they're the cause of it. You are 100% correct. Without yeah. it, they're about even. His sample size is so small. If we're not looking at this four-run... So if we're talking about Josh Hader, Friday, Josh Hader, Mm -hmm. he is still this awesome, fantastic pitcher who is succeeds in every role. But that four run in this season is so significant to really throwing off the numbers we have to look at that. Now it makes him, it makes us sit here and say, well, what's wrong with Josh Hader? Yeah, I agree. I think that that's, and that's always the thing with relief, even in a full 162 game season, things can get thrown off by a couple of outings. And in this shortened season, it really is going to be like, yeah, one outing. And if he has another one, then everybody's just going to assume he's broken and, you know, useless forever or something. It'll be, it'll be wild. But, and then teams will start uh, hovering around the Brewers this off season to try to get him at a discount. Right. We have a bunch of uh, questions about trades too. Uh, but it, that is a good point because, you know, the, the last time we were talking about Josh Hader at length like this, I think was the outing where he walked into runs and mm-hmm. it was like, what the hell is wrong with it? So yeah, here yeah. we are again. Uh, and then he goes back to normal for two weeks. We don't talk about him because he's exactly what we ex- anticipate. And then when things change, we're like, why? Why Josh Hader bad? Right. Yeah, right. it really exactly. is. These small sample things with relievers, especially it's all small samples, no matter what you're doing. And in this condensed season, it just it pops even more. Yeah, I guess. Totally. True. My yeah, my main concern with him is the fastball just hasn't looked good or dependable all year long, uh, even in the outings where, you know, he's, he's been three up, three down, three strikeouts. He I mean, to a certain extent, he never really knew where that fastball was going right and that was kind of the benefit of it but now he's he's not even getting swings and misses on it i saw on twitter last night our our friend jack stern from brew crew ball kind of looked at his uh whiff rates on the fastball and it's actually going back to last year the whiff rate on haters fastball has fallen dramatically i mean mm-hmm. obviously it's it, it's josh Hader, so even a, a fall that big is still like very good above yep. average. <laughs> and I think that's an important thing to remember when we're talking about Josh Hader like this too. He's, he's gone from like all time great to merely like 
all-star closer, <laughs> you know, that everybody's kind of freaking out because he's not the same Josh Hader that we've seen. Uh, but yeah, like that whiff rate is still over 30%, but that's, it's on the fastball, but it's, it's much lower than it's been. And I think last night or Saturday night, we saw a lot of pitches fouled off. We saw they're kind of either like Hayward waiting for that inside fastball when they know it's coming, or they're actually kind of like waiting for that slider. Now, like Rizzo, what Rizzo knew he was getting an O2 slider. He just threw the bat out there and he got a base hit. Right. So I, I, it's really weird to say because I'm not a huge fan of hater slider. I think he throws it way too much. And I know Paul, you kind of feel the same way, but like the fastball just hasn't been very good either. And that's, that's kind of a problem. Well, and the other thing that's really big and standing out to me here is looking at his zone percent. He had been to this point in his career around like 55% basically every year. It dipped a little bit to 53 last year. This year it's down at 46.4. So you're looking at, you know, a, a pretty massive drop in how much he's throwing in the zone. And I think that you can tie that to the, the slider. Like that is a pitch that is in the zone a lot less and, I think that that is that is definitely a, a factor in what's going on here, but I think yeah. it's more about his pitch selection than it is anything else. I agree with but, that. And how- yes, last night's blow up I think was very related to pitch selection. Like, yeah, I think it was Rizzo that he threw three straight sliders to, and Rizzo yeah. Rizzo sat on the last one, and you know he didn't destroy it, but he was able to work with it because it's it's not his fastball, and when you know it's coming, you can hit it. Uh, and I feel like Hader gets Hader seems to have this problem kind of a lot where he he gets married to a pitch or it's not quite mixed well enough or random enough, you know, either throwing his fastball too much to a fault. Um, but it it was just a weird like one of those just it bugs you after the fact like, OK, that slider worked, slider worked, maybe mix it up here. And he didn't. And he got it like it's exactly what you would predict would happen. So um, his selection always seems to a little bit weird to me and always his kind of bothered me it seems to be a problem for him where it's not for any other pitcher um i wonder when we look at things like zone percentage especially i hate to like when announcers do that well if you take out his eight earned run game you're looking at a (laughs) 2.4 era but we're talking about two like how significant a leaving him into face five batters was in the game where he her six batters was when he walked five yeah but he had nine strikes that game in 30 pitch or around 30 pitches. How much does that screw, screw like substantially break that number as a tool for analysis for us? It's a small sample issue again, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah, it does. You're right. Yeah. We don't know anything. That's true. That, and that was <laughs> like kind of what I let in with is like we, because of those like moments and the amount of innings and batters and at bats played appearances we're working with, like everything is so thrown off where like we can look and we can look and we can look and we could be like, ah, I think I have the reason. But then you ask these little bits of questions and you're like, oh, crap, is that it? I think when we're talking about pitch selection, what we're looking, we're looking at the one thing that is provenly substantially different is that he's gone from four seamer to 80% of the time to now less than 70% of the time and mm-hmm. slider 18% of the time to now over 30% of the time. That is the most substantial change along with his velocity. So it's hard to think that if it's not his velocity and there isn't something much more concerning there to be, and there is an issue, that that is much more than we're chalking it up to be. 
or it's that he's throwing a pitch that was great because everyone's like, well, I don't know how to hit this fastball because I don't know where it's going and either does he. And then he throws the slider and they're like, well, I wasn't expecting that. So I just kind of hacked at it. Um, so you're going from a situation like that to now he, he's trying to throw these pitches in a calculated way that make it a little too predictable for the, I mean, yeah, the fa- knowing a fastball was coming is predictable, but like I said, it's so deceptive because of how he hides it and you'd have no idea where he's going because he doesn't know where it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and on the point about the fastball velocity, yes, he is down like over a mile per hour from where he was last year, but he's almost identical to where he was in 2018 when he was like the best reliever we'd ever seen to that yeah. point. And so I don't think that necessarily like the fastball velocity thing is a huge is a huge factor here. I think that you're right. It's, it's the pitch selection like it's. Yeah. Yeah. And that's different. And I don't know that that's necessarily like a long term problem. Maybe he needs to make these adjustments. And maybe this is just like a growing pain that he has to go through while he's figuring this out. Because guys do have to change their repertoire over time. If you don't, you turn into Craig Kimbrell, right? Like if you think you're still the guy (laughs) who's throwing like Kimbrell was, he's like, I'm going to continue to do things the way I've always done them. And that worked for me. Well, when your stuff declines and you don't make an adjustment to it, like you what happened to him last year is what you see like yep, right. that all falls apart so i get that guys are going to tinker and i get that he is going to try to to change things up and that there can be growing pains that are associated with that and i hope that's what this is i think there's there's good reason to think that that's a, a strong possibility here that that's what we're looking at we're not seeing like some long-term flame out of josh Hader. All true. And also, yeah. Kimbrell was not good last night, just also worth mentioning. Like, the Cubs, <laughs> the Cubs won the game, but he was hardly on very right early. Yeah. Really, if, if Arcia doesn't break his bat on that last contact, that's probably a base hit. It just took enough off of it that it was a soft line out. So mm-hmm. he's, he's still bad. We at least got that going for us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was a tough way to end the game. And you even had uh, Jeff Levering and Bill Schroeder kind of calling it there. He's like, well, two runners on. How about <laughs> RC? You know, RC is swinging first pitch fastball. And that's exactly what he got. He just happened to get it in on the hands and yep. it broke his bat. Right. So I mentioned this before, but we do have a couple of Patreon questions about Josh Hader. Our first one is from Jay Google. And it's a topic that uh, Paul kind of touched on. Jay's asking, is it time to maybe put Hader back in the fireman role? take him out of that ninth inning. Uh, Paul, I know you already kind of addressed this, but is there more to your reasoning there? No, really. I mean, if there was no financial considerations or arbitration considerations, and if nobody cared about saves like they shouldn't, I think it would be kind of a no-brainer. I think it's where you get the most bang for your buck on his usage and getting out of jams. The thing about Hader is, like, he tends to be either a uh, an extremely clean inning, like he just blows people away, they never touch him, so it can get you out of, you know, bases loaded type situations or he explodes all over the place. And, you know, those situations are already kind of setting you up to explode all over the place. So the damage isn't as much as if you start the inning clean. I like him in that role. I think it's the best use for him. And I do think he's better when he gets more rest between usage. So I, I so my biggest problem with the closer role for him is that I, I just don't think he's as good on the second half of back to backs. And uh, it, should he ever be put in a situation where he has to go three in a row, I'd be tempted to see what they actually do. It hasn't I don't come up a single time this year. Um, maybe it did. I don't, I don't remember, but um, not this year. No. Okay. Um, I, I, I just, 
think that he's a weird pitcher and um you know i think they know how to use him properly and there's all these external forces that cause them to use him in the conventional way now the one thing i'll say against myself there is that he's maybe not the best reliever on the team anymore and i like <laughs> the best reliever <laughs> on the team to be in that role right so maybe it does make sense to have him as the closer in that case but uh I, I don't know. I, I would still like to see him get, uh, I like the longer, longer individual outings with more rest for him. Just do. I think for as great as Craig Council's bullpen management has been historically, the closer role has been one of his biggest flaws. I think the reason 2018 was an exceptionally great year for bullpen management was because they lost Corey Knable and they're like, well, I guess we're just going to like roll with what we got and did a lot of situational pitching. Yep. Mm -hmm. But when 2019 Knable came in injured and we have Hader is 100% the closer because Jeffers can't do it. That's like, he really gets hard lined in this. Like, this is my closer. This is my closer. This is my closer. And that's the most problematic part of his pitching where her usage, where he really is like, well, the ninth innings for this guy, but we'll use, we'll do a bullpen game so well that we'll keep them off the board until the ninth inning. But then here, here's my guy. I think the issue with that logic in that situation is, it, I mean, that is when you want hater up, right? You have three of the Cubs best hitter, two of them are left-handers. Mm -hmm. That's when you want Hader to be there. It's but a in perfect a situation. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's a perfect situation. It just happened to go bad. But I mean, there's more ideal situations where, you know, I think looking at the and we baseball nerds have talked about this for so long. You look at when the best part of the order is up and you use the guy you think is going to handle them the best. So if those three are up in the eighth instead of the ninth, you go to Hader in the eighth. And that's the quote unquote safe because of the situation it is. And then Devin Williams can get the ninth and he can take the four, five, six versus the one, two, three. So I think that's just been a problematic thing for me in general. And I think there's been a group of fans that have seen that and agreed where it's like, why are you so loose on all the rules, but so hard lined when it comes to this one scenario? Um, so I think that's frustrating. So I guess my answer is, yeah, I'd prefer him in the fireman role, but I don't think in the traditional, like, uh, seventh inning jam, got to get Hater up and, like, get him in here to fix things. I think more in the, like, situational matchups matter for everyone else. Why don't they matter here? Yep. I think we've seen enough, though, from him where he has shown flexibility and willingness to move things around. And like we were talking about with 2018, there was a time period where he was basically kind of bouncing between Jeffress and Hayter in the ninth inning and all of that. We've seen enough flexibility from him to, I think, be able to sort of fairly say that the fact that he is being kind of rigid about hater in the ninth this year probably has more to do with external factors than it does like ideal management of the games and I think it also is something where he goes I don't he probably does kind of doesn't care where he's using hater and Williams in in outings at this point because they're both really good right. like realistically they're both really really good and how you deploy them yeah, there might be some difference between putting one in here and one in there. But like when you have two guys that are that good, does it really matter that much? And I know we've just spent all this time talking about how Josh Hader has been fragile this year. <laughs> but like you, you like Brad said, and I agree that like what we're looking at probably is less about 
long-term decline for Josh Hader than it is just this is something that happens sometimes to every reliever. You know, there was always, remember Mariano Rivera's career? I remember there always being some thing where he would have like a bad two, three weeks and people would be like, oh my God, is it the end of Mariano Rivera? And this is like 2002 or something. You know, and it, it was it was not the end of Mariano Rivera, guys. It, it was more, not ten more years. Yeah, exactly. But basically, and I've I've said this for years now. All anybody expects out of relievers is perfection every single time out. Like, is that so hard? Like, you, all you're being asked to do is pitch like an inning, get like three outs, just go do it perfectly every single time, and like, like otherwise you suck. Like, this has been an, an ongoing debate between me and Steve for decades at this point. Like, <laughs> where it's just like he's like relievers are carnies. They're they're in for one weird trick. Like, just do your thing and then go out. And I don't care if you're like ever. Like there, there's no excuse. Like just get your outs, and that's fine. It's like no, like you're going to. Everybody's going to give up runs. You're a pitcher. Like that is going to happen. You're going to give up a lead sometimes. It's not always going to be perfect. But people basically just expect their relievers, you know, the ones who are pitching in high leverage anyway, to just be perfect always. And that's not reality. It's it's an unfair standard that we hold uh, high leverage relief pitchers to. I want to debate the comment that you think or about external factors being more involved with Josh Hader this year so badly, because I like cling to things about 2018. Like when Corey Knable comes back from his injury in June and July, Craig council was like, he's my closer. And he sucks. He just sucks that year up until they sent him down to triple a in August. And then he comes back in September and he was good again. Well, no, they got him. He took him out of the closer role well before he went on the DL. Like they they started pitching Eventually, him in middle but relief. Yes, like, but when he Eventually. initially came back, he was just like, "Well, that's my closer," and like he was hard lined into it despite <laughs> him sucking on, up until a certain point, and it took him a long time until he fixed that rigidity. And then also he kind of started the, doing the same thing with Jeffress after Hader and Jeffress got more established. Like Jeffress was the fireman for a long time. Then towards the end of the season, he's like, "Now Jeffress is my closer." Um, and then he ran and, out of gas at the end of September and in right. October. Yeah. Yep. And then I mean, yes, last year is super hard to judge. Like we really can't take anything away from that because the bullpen wasn't bad, but the bullpen didn't have elite resources like it does this year, right? Like, especially the first half before they get uh, Pomerantz, you're looking at a bullpen that has one really really good pitcher, and then you hope the rest work out. But anyway, that's semantics. I just <laughs> yep. like I cl like that is one thing where I look at how intelligent Craig Council has been, and I see that one thing happening in multiple instances, and I was like, why is this the thing? Why is this this hang up? And every manager has one. Yep. Anyway, so that's been a, a thing that I just viewed as problematic. So Ryan said it, and I was like, it's the, because it's the thing I've chosen to cling on to. I just had to voice why it makes me want to bang my head against the wall. And I view it as a uh, council flaw, not even in the way of like Renicky and uh, Yost doing it, which I think were two very frustrating things that we've argued in the past where they stuck for pitchers too long because they're my closer. But it it's just we know Craig Council is one of the best managers in baseball. So for him to be hardlined in those situations and like very stuck in his way is confusing. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, and kind of going back to Jay's question, Devin Williams is the best pitcher in the bullpen right now. Yep. Like, I yeah. don't think anybody here would argue that. So no, not at all. I think, I think given the current setup, 
And yeah, maybe it's looking too much into small sample size results. Like Craig Council is doing, I guess, the optimal thing and having Devin <laughs> Williams pitch the sixth, seventh, eighth innings, right? Yep. There is so, that, yes. So I don't know. I I hesitate to put Hader back in that fireman role just because of what I've seen. Like, I don't want to see this happen in the seventh inning and then all hope is lost for two innings, you know? Okay. I mean, I, blowing leads in the ninth inning sucks, but at least, like, oh, well, it's the game's done. It's not another hour's worth of despair after that, you know? That changeup might be the best relief pitch in baseball at this moment. And we know how fastly yeah. that can change. We've seen it. But be, when you're looking at a combination of what it does and how he can command it, holy yeah. crap. That and spin is ridiculous. It's, like, it's a three to nine Frisbee spin. Like it, <laughs> That pitch is insane. It, I saw, I mean, Jeff Levering called it like flinging a hockey puck up there. And that's actually a really good description. That's a really good description of it. And it's, it's I think, unusual to see a pitch that looks that neat to be that effective. I love that there, we have the combination of it, you know? A lot of times, effective pitches are just like blazing fastballs that move two inches left or right. This thing is crazy, and he, he leads the league in so many like just random, you know, back end pitching stats, like lowest exit velocity when people do make contact, and he just whiffs a ton. Like I've never seen anything quite like him uh, with that pitch. It, how do you even learn to throw it? If you threw it, like if I threw that pitch once, my wrist would split in half. I don't know, but Corbin, he's trying to teach it to Corbin Burns right now. So, <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm all for that. Okay, cool. Uh, the it's funny because I've always watched him very intently. He's one of the first like big prospects drafted when I really started being a prospect watcher, and his changeup has always been great. In the last two years, I don't know if it's ever looked, or I don't know if it's ever looked like before, like it looks now. Um, it, last year is when it started taking like this holy crap that's a breaking pitch weapon versus that's keeping guys off balance because you have a good fastball type thing with your changeup which is generally why you affect the change expect the changeup to be good right is you're like oh it just looks like the fastball and keeps people he's using his more like a breaking ball out pitch yeah which is weird <laughs> yeah i don't know if i've seen a changeup break that much and it's just like some weird freaky ass creation of the brewers pitching lab that is not human i don't i don't right. understand the physics of it like, but it's insane. like i said his changeup's always been good when he got drafted they were like hey that has yeah. potential to be a 60 65 pitch but now we're looking at a 70 75 pitch and it's like where did that come from <laughs> yeah <laughs> heck it might even be an 80 it's probably like, an 80 right now because yeah. there's, there's no pitch better than it right now i mean nobody right. can hit it yeah this is the peak of what a pitch can be right except for uh zach davies changeup i Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got one more Patreon question on Josh Hader uh, before we move on here. Steve DeRozier uh, kind of bringing up the uh, trade question again. So he's saying, assuming Josh Hader continues to pitch well, you know, assuming he rebounds from this, I suppose, and the Brewers decide to trade him in the offseason with a prospect talent rich team, like say the Rays, Dodgers or Padres, what's the next uh, realistic return we could expect to see? Brad, I think you kind of touched on this a little bit pre-deadline, but what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think if we look at something like the Andrew Miller trade to the uh, Yankees or even the Araldis Chapman trade, I know we all see Glaber Torres and say, like, I want a Glaber Torres back, but you also <laughs> remember he had just gone under, like, undergone Tommy John surgery at the time and was on a year-long injury that had dropped him down almost all prospect charts. 
Like there was a reason he was available. You're probably not getting a top 10 prospect back for Josh Hader unless it's the not top 10 prospect on a team, but in baseball, unless it's the only return you get. Um, I think what I look at most is you're looking at the return for Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz, which is a little hard to break up because Robinson Cano at that point is a financial monster in terms of what you do to a team's available salary. But he was also still all right when the Mets got him. And then the Mets met at him and he immediately <laughs> like hit the low point of his career. They also met at Edwin Diaz, but yeah. He's been good this year. <laughs> <laughs> but you're talking like a Jared Kalenic or whatever, like yeah. in return, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what the Mets had to do was send some salary back. Part of that was a lot of that was that offset the cost of Cano. But I think if you're looking at a team that's going to have financial flexibility next year and you want to get a top 30 prospect, I think eating up that salary and getting two top 100 prospects is a realistic thing where you're like, okay, we can take a, an $8 million corner infielder who's no longer good or who like wasn't good when you signed him, but you signed him off a one-year deal. And we'll try to make him good again because we have some things that we like, and we'll, but we'll also take these really good prospects that we like back because that's what we're excited about and we can deal with the rest. The Brewers historically under David Stearns haven't been one to eat salary, so I don't think that's necessarily realistic. Yeah. But it's it's an idea to kind of increase the return in some situations, and I think if the return is good enough, that's something uh, that Stearns would explore. But I think mostly you're looking at the Andrew Miller trade as the most comparable thing in the last decade that we had to look at. Yeah, it's really yep. hard to figure it out because it all depends on what the market ends up being for trades this winter. I think we've we've talked about this a bunch that we think that yeah. the the free agent market is going to be extremely, extremely team friendly and there's not going to be a lot of money floating around. But how does that affect the trade market? Now, I, I sort of see this two different ways. On one hand, you could say that like, OK, well, if that's the case, then cost control young talent is going to be at a, a premium like we've never seen before because that's the most valuable asset in the game in a constricted market, right? So you could see that argument. On the other side, you could see the the exact opposite being true where if you can't sign a guy to uh, to do something that you're going to need to trade to, to fill those holes, and so that's going to create a, a situation where teams are having to give up more to be able to fill those holes that they have. If they can't pay for it, they're going to try to trade for it. So it could really cut either direction. And I don't know exactly what to expect. I do think that basically, yeah, you're you're not going to see Hater bring back a like a top 10 prospect. We've never really seen that for relievers. So I don't think you're going to see that. You're not getting like an elite, elite prospect. But I do think that you're going to have to get multiple potential impact pieces guys that look like they can potentially make a big time impact. You're going to have to get multiples. If you're not getting that one true elite, like, you know, Glaber Torres type And Cleveland got Clint Frazier and justice Sheffield. Those were the headliners of that trade. Justice mm -hmm. Sheffield's currently doing really well for the Mariners. Clint Frazier, when they let him play does really well for the Yankees. <laughs> and you know, yeah. another guy included in that trade, <laughs> JP fire Eisen. Ooh, that's oh, right. was he? Okay. I forgot about that. <laughs> well, it'll come full circle when the Yankees give the Brewers Clint Frazier for Josh Hader, right? So. <laughs> uh, so, but I think you're looking at an instance where you're 
even if it's that 50 to 60 prospect, but they have that 10 to top 10 ceiling type of look in them, which I think is what the Mets gave up in Kellenic. Everyone knows like, okay, this is going to be like an elite guy, at least in the farm going down the road, but we're trading him when he's not there yet. I think that's what you can kind of look at when you're looking at Hater. Is a guy everyone knows is going to be good, but just hasn't had the time to quite establish themselves yet in a way. Yep. I think there's a significant chance that we see that he ends up getting traded for people who are already in the majors and aren't even prospects anymore. They'll have control. Like that. There's no doubt about that. But I think we there's a pretty good chance we see that because they're not trying to rebuild long term here now maybe maybe the the most significant piece they can get back is they'll look at value as value maybe the most significant piece is a guy in double a and that's fine but i think they're also going to be looking at guys who maybe have a year of uh service time under their belt and that could be like the top piece that comes back to it just it it totally depends on which team decides to to pony up and give the most what they perceive as value look here ryan if you try to take these prospects away from me, <laughs> you try. Uh, <laughs> this is Brad's chance to have fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the farm is really fun, and I think that's uh, very realistic. Is you can just kind of retool the uh, top level of the MLB in the uh, tier for the Brewers and areas that are weak, and hope that it works out. Kind of the Zach Davies Trent Grisham trade, right? Yep. Outfielder is mm-hmm. a place of weakness. You know, you can replace outfielder with a cheap person you uh, believe can provide value and that's what they do with avi garcia so and they obviously have never cared about starting pitching so they trade davies and grisham and get back pieces that they feel are a valuable asset that the other team feels they don't need because they have depth in that situation so i think that is a reasonable idea to bring up in what could be coming back on the brewer side yeah Yep. All right, so moving on. Uh, Josh Hader's bad inning on Saturday night actually snapped a ridiculously long scoreless streak uh, from Corbin Burns to Brandon Woodruff to Brent Suter, who was great in a spot start role last night, and uh, Freddie Peralta. It was, I believe, they got up to 26 innings scoreless straight, which is kind of incredible, you know, when we think about the Brewers not typically being a team that you think of pitching dominantly like that, but... Uh, 26 scoreless innings and specifically Brandon Woodruff, you know, we, we've been talking for weeks about how he hasn't quite looked ace like, and was kind of struggling in that fifth inning role. He just blew right past that on Friday night. Uh, and, and probably had his best start maybe ever. Uh, so I guess the question here, uh, Ryan, how, how are you feeling about Woodruff and Burns as a one, two at the top of the rotation? And how does it compare, I guess, to some other teams that they may be against in the race? It's been a while since the Brewers had anything like this. I think you have to go back to probably Grinky and Gallardo, right? To have a yeah. one-two punch that's this good. And or a good Sean Markham. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then Sean Markham is Brett Anderson, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there are certain comparables there too. So but yeah, I, I think that there is a very real chance that we're seeing that emerge. You always have to be cautious about pitching because it's pitching and it can just all go to shit so fast. And like that's that's just kind of the nature of that game. 
but they do have that. And then beyond that, I was I was speaking to a friend about this. We were having this whole conversation about, well, then there's Hauser behind them and, you know, whatever. And then we go to the bullpen and it's like, well, you got Devin Williams and you got Hader, at least for the time being. And Rasmussen really looks like he could be up and coming. They have a lot of yep. good young arms kind of all over the place. And we forgot to even talk about Freddie Peralta. And I'm like, oh, right. They still have Freddie Peralta. We're like, oh, yeah, forgot. <laughs> forgot. He hadn't pitched in a while. So we, we were thinking the guy about they him. Extended. Yeah, the guy that yeah. they actually gave, like, put money to. And like, so you go, they really do have an insane amount of pitching development. And there was a thing going around. The Brewers right now are fourth in MLB in whiff generation. And that's including, you know, guys who maybe aren't so good at that. Like you have Claudio and some people that really aren't you're you're not building around generating whiffs like that's not their game at all brett anderson is not a guy who's looking to generate whiffs what 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 yeah you seem shocked <laughs> that uh, i apparently have broken news here that brett anderson is not looking to get whiffs well i mean i'm sure he's looking to do it but it just doesn't happen that often you would like to i'm sure yeah we'd, we'd all <laughs> like that but yeah so really guys it's possible i've been betting on him striking people out that seems like a good way to lose <laughs> oh, money. Man, lost a lot of money. So yeah, I I think that you're looking at a pretty a pretty good uh, group of guys there, and they I think have some coming up behind. I I'm very optimistic about what Ethan Small could potentially be. Maybe like I I sort of have a a vision of him being like a rich man's Brent Suter. <laughs> All right, that'd be good. Yeah, like he's Brett Suter, but That's with a, like some actual pretty count. decent some stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah, some pretty decent <laughs> stuff. Whereas Suter, I mean, have you guys noticed this year? Like Brett Suter is all of a sudden like striking people out and like missing bats at a weird rate, and he's, the yeah, stuff hasn't really changed. Nine of eleven or twelve, it's a he insane. Does. Let's yeah. not rip on Suter too much. He's been he struck out the side on his start, Saturday. It was yep, great. His start yeah. was great, and also he's just super great because he pitches the fastest of anybody in the world. <laughs> I mean, the only problem with Brent sooner is legitimately that he throws 86 miles per hour yeah. right like other than that if he would be like look at this elite bullpen tool so you look at ethan small who throws 91 and you're like ooh, like brett Suter, but with some stink on the ball yeah i don't i don't want people to walk away from this thinking that i was like ripping on brett Suter when i said like a rich man's brett Suter. i just looked at his numbers again he has an 11.7 strikeouts per nine and a 0.8 walks per nine that's 15 Fantastic. to 1 15.00 <laughs> strikeouts to walk for the season that is Literal video game numbers. That is literal video game numbers. That's insane. And I made the joke with talent. That's just because I like to joke about 86 miles per hour. But you look, he has a FIP of 267 because his BABIP is insane right now. Like hitters are getting so lucky off of him uh, uh, with a 345 BABIP. Like (laughs) he's just as uh, he's astounding. When somebody does make contact off him, he's given up three homers in 23 innings. So like, yeah, you're, you're going to have some of that. That's not even that bad a number in 2020 though. Like that's, that's that's fine, but you're going to have some of that, but God, he he is really, really something and can be used in so many different ways and seems to be just like a very important glue piece. And you, you could tell that Craig council really appreciates having him there. So maybe he's a candidate for some sort of an extension. Did Brent Suter, did Tommy John fix Brent Suter? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, they like turned him into a superhuman. Uh, I, I've never seen anything like that. 15 <laughs> to 1 strikeout to walk ratio. Guys, we went nuts for Ben Sheets in 2004, and I think it was like 10 to 1. 
Yeah. yeah. This is 15 yeah. to 1. It's just nuts. And it is a small sample. <laughs> and like all he has to do is walk a couple guys and that number will come tumbling down. But like still, that's it's nuts. I think the thing you look at with him, though, is the consistency between. All right. So 2018, he was fun to watch. Everyone liked him. Like yep. he, he's funny, charismatic, goes down with the Tommy John, sad, 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 comes back in 2019 and just is like this force, a rejuvenative force for the bullpen. The things that are consistent in two small sample size, though, is he has a nearly 14% swinging strike percentage. Like that, that is measurable because it's coming even on a small sample size. It's yep. coming on every pitch. It's, it's something measurable regardless of like because it is accountable on every single pitch. So you have a 14% swinging tri- strike percentage is pretty freaking insane. And somehow <laughs> this became a conversation from how good Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff have been into a Brett yeah, Suter appreciation day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. I mean, the entire pitching staff has been nuts is kind of the yeah. point. Well, they've had because uh, if you look at their overall runs allowed, it's not as good as you would think it is. But that's basically no. because of it's localized in a few spots. You know, you have Josh right. Lindblom having his, you know, over six ERA. You have Eric Lauer with his 12 ERA, Justin Grimm, 17, Perdomo, 20, Bobby Wall, eleven. So yeah. for the and- most part, when they've thrown pitchers out there, they've been good, but they're being dragged down. And this is true to some extent by every team. But they're so good at getting guys out. And like Eric Lauer is, you know, we haven't seen him since he left because they're not going to bring him back up and put him in there until one, they either need to, like they haven't had a need to, or that like they feel like he's fixed whatever the issue was. Right. One thing that, oh, sorry. Oh, that's okay. I was just going to real quick say, Craig does not throw uh, good money after bad. If they are getting blown out, he will not go to anybody valuable in the pen ever. And right. this is one of, for the last several years, even in normal seasons, one of the reasons that they do outperform their, their Pythagorean or third order record, it tends to be that, that they're willing to let blowups get it, turn into bigger blowups to save for later. Um, mm-hmm. So like, I know that legitimately other teams regress to the mean on that over time. The Brewers really haven't and don't because of that, that they're willing to give up runs that make them look artificially worse than they are. So, yeah. How right. excited are we now about the pitching lab? <laughs> Pretty excited, I mean, really. I mean, this is this is what it could do. Fine. I, I, I don't know how much of it is attributable to that. But can they, you know. can they move some guys from the pitching lab over to the hitting lab? <laughs> yeah, create a hitting lab. They, they need some help over on that side. Yeah. Oh, the only flaw in Corbin Burns' performance, if you look at his baseball savant profile, he's in like the top 30th percentile or uh, 70th percentile for almost all the categories. The concerning is that he's still in the 30th percentile for barrels. Yeah, so people right. are still getting it on the sweet spot when they get it. Yeah, but there's but, no Super Bowl this year, so it's not flying up for home runs. So it's all right. <laughs> well, and he's in the 96 percentile for cave and width percentage. So <laughs> get exactly. that. You, can, you can live with a lot of hard contact you can, if you're there. You can do that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess speaking of uh, the Brewers run differential, it, it got a significant boost in the <laughs> yes, last week uh, <laughs> with the Brewers 19 to nothing win over the Tigers. Uh, so I actually did a, a fun little thing for Brew Crew Ball where I kind of just looked at where the numbers were on Tuesday and then where they were after Wednesday. And the Brewers added 1.5 war in one day alone on that day. Like, it's ridiculous. Uh Added 11 points of WOBA. Their WRC plus went up by eight. And 
like their OPS went up by something like 20 or 30 points too. It was insane. Uh, set a new franchise record for extra base hits in the game. So I guess, Paul, my question is, does this mean something? <laughs> or was it just one of those random fluky things? It think, is. It is yeah. just one of those random fluky things. It doesn't mean jack. And we saw it by the Brewers' offense going completely back to normal I was almost immediately. <laughs> um, this question is a lot more interesting on, like, Thursday as opposed yeah. to, like, after seeing what they did on Friday or Saturday, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the Tigers uh, actually have had a halfway decent season. They got a good, nice start. Um, should be one of the worst teams in baseball. And, mm-hmm. you know, but I think this would... All this tells you is that they are, in fact, quite bad. They have a lot of bad pitchers in the back end of their bullpen. And it's just one of those blow-ups, random things that happens. It's It doesn't mean anything at all. And, you know, um, was was this even the high score? Like, there was no, a couple it wasn't, of... Like, no, oh, right, right, right. The, the, the Braves won 29-9 to that same day. <laughs> so these things happen sometimes. It's just one of those funny things about baseball. But unfortunately, it's not a turning point or anything like that. And they went back into their shell almost immediately. Would you rather have the 29 to nine win because 29 runs? Oh my God. Like we've seen the Brewers score, you know, around 20 runs before. Like that's not mm-hmm. super abnormal. 29 runs. You rarely see that. Like that is truly like a unique yep. thing. That was a national league record, by the way. Yeah. yeah. One off I, by the Texas Rangers had the AL record at 30. Uh, I would rather have the Brewers win because of the shutout. And I yeah. think that's so funny. I, I like think the 19 to zero win is so funny compared to 29 and nine. Like that's still nine runs is still a lot of runs in base. Like it's not 29 runs, obviously, <laughs> but nine runs is still a lot of runs. In it's baseball. a lot yep. of runs. Yeah. You're going to lose. If you give up nine runs, you're going to lose like what? 80, 90% of the time. Like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. So yes, but it's less fun. Like 29 runs is fun. 29 runs is fun but 19 to 0 is like so you're getting to watch your uh pitchers dominate the hitters which is fun yeah you get to watch your hitters just smash 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 and jed jerko be the savior and corbin burns was a monster in that game i was gonna say shut it down he he had a no hitter going basically until i tweeted it and And i thought yeah caused paul to turn the game on and then he promptly gave up a triple off the wall but that was like the only hit he gave up so (laughs) it was like the only hard hit ball yeah exactly so i think with you guys like that game was a lot more fun than like 29 to 9 which by the way that braves marlins game was still decently close until like the fourth or fifth inning uh so you know it, it was just a lot more fun to watch that tigers game and also, I am kind of uh, the twenty-nine to nine hurt me because as a Jordan Yamamoto stand. Yeah. Oh, uh, they left him out there to die. Uh, yeah, threw, like, did you see? He threw like ninety pitches in like two and two-thirds innings or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was, and gave up what? It was offensive. It, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was criminal. It, like, John Mattingly should be put in the stocks for that. Like, people should be able to throw rotten tomatoes at him. It was like watching the collegiate po- coach let a guy throw 200 pitches in a seven inning start. And you're like, well, please, yeah. please. He's already dead. <laughs> yes, it is the yeah, Simpsons I, meme. That was not great. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, I'm with you guys. Like, this this is fun to see. And, you know, I, I don't think it's all kind of flukish. I think we've seen Avi Garcia kind of turn things on a little bit in the last week or so. He's continued to hit and he's hitting extra base hits now, which is uh a little bit more encouraging i think his his slugging is still below 400 so you know whatever well and but... let's recognize that also a big part of why 
you had the game be nothing, nothing until literally the bottom of the ninth inning on Friday night was that umpire was giving both Brandon Woodruff and that's John Lester like every inch of the that of is like, a point. That yeah. was a bad zone and it made that into a pitcher's duel. Oh, yeah. I mean, the hitters weren't going to do anything in that game because and they all kind of knew it because it was going both directions. So, like, nobody really got that upset. But you could just see, like, no, you put that pitch there and there's no way anybody's Brandon Woodruff throwing that pitch in that location. If that's a strike, it's unhittable. You might as well just take it and take your your strike out because you're not going to do anything with it. Like, at most, you're going to, like, you know, dribble it to the second baseman. So what the hell? Like, it doesn't matter. Really bad zone for sure. I I do want to start looking ahead a little bit. Uh, we got a lot of questions to to get to, but first I want to mention uh, Brewers are playing a ton of games against the Cardinals this week. Actually, five games in three days. Yep. Right. Yeah. Uh, so ten of the Brewers' last seventeen games are against the Cardinals. That includes the doubleheaders Monday and Wednesday. Uh, last week we had some fun talking about some of the shenanigans we could do to screw with the the Cardinals. I like the idea of the opener that Paul had to kind of screw with everything i guess really quick though i these things never seem to go well for the brewers at least when the cardinals are involved does anybody have any good feelings at all about playing five games in three days against the cardinals i actually do i actually do because they have a they're like the cardinals their punishment for being idiots and getting covid like a bunch of idiots was playing a thousand games in like three weeks so it's not like the Brewers had to take this heavy game load, but I think the Cardinals started it Friday. So like they, they're doing they're gonna hit a wall at some double point, headers, right? Double headers, yeah. right. So the Brewers are going to be much fresher than the Cardinals coming into this because they have to take a substantially less or a smaller beating in terms of what they have to endure in innings and at bats. So I think actually I'm feeling pretty good because I am expecting the Cardinals to come in pretty shaken up. I, I mean, how do you even find enough like starters to get you through this? That's the problem. Even the Brewers are going to have to kind of piece together some bullpen games here in this yep. next week. So, well, it's why it was really nice that they had a couple of long starts from yeah. guys. And granted, they did have to run both Suter and and Peralta on Saturday night in a loss, which you, you don't like to have that happen that's yep. always frustrating especially when the pitchers they threw last night they threw williams they threw hater they threw a lot of their best guys in a yep. losing effort that that is never optimal you always like to get the wins in those cases but i think that you're looking at they did they did get seven innings from burns they got seven innings from woodruff that does help set things a little bit they haven't really had to dig deep into the bullpen too much until at least Saturday, and we'll see. They, they should be able to find ways around this. And remember, the Brewers will be allowed to call up an extra player yeah. for those doubleheaders, yeah. and they'll they'll rotate things through, and they'll keep guys fresh, and I think it'll be fine from their well, perspective. I think, we see, yeah. I think we see they alternate on Trey Shupak and Eric Lauer, right? You, you mm. take the guys who have, or maybe a Zach Brown, who have depth in the Appleton that you can just swap in, and yep. we'll see guys like that 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 gets swapped in it and we the great thing about these games is you have time to play you've known they've been coming for a long time this isn't a surprise mm-hmm. double header from rain or something like that so you can make sure that if that is your plan to use eric lauer that day you have him ready to be the 29th man you have him stretched out for that day and then the next day you can swap them out for trey shoe pack who is stretched out and ready for that day 
And you can also have them like having already looked at the Cardinals lineup and say, hey, this is going to be your game. Let's get ready for the Cardinals. Watch a bunch of video of them and be ready for that, you yeah. know, from a, a preparation standpoint, too. So, yeah, I think it's important, you know, obviously a super important stretch for the Brewers coming up all 10 of their games against the Cardinals in the last two weeks here. As we record this, they're two games behind the Cardinals in the standings, but tied in the all important win column. Win column. Woo. So <laughs> it's easy when you've played way more games than the other team because they got a horrible disease for being irresponsible. <laughs> right. But the important thing is we're tied in the win column, right? Yeah. And, and, and that's what decides the division. It is. You. So it's all about winning. I, I like that this has become a crap on the Cardinals moment, like segment of the show, <laughs> where we just rag on them for being irresponsible Jags. Well, and we know that they were like that has been fairly we well do. reported. Been confirmed, yeah. yeah. We can we can actually ridicule them completely, honestly, without having to worry about apologizing later. I do think the seven inning thing helps the Brewers a little bit too, because it's unlikely that they're going to get into a situation where they have to blow up their bullpen. Sure. Um, and and basically get back to where the Cardinals level is like the Cardinals are going to come into this having played a marathon and they're going to be challenged for depth. The Brewers can plan for a seven inning game. You know, they can lean very heavily on their high leverage guys if they need to, um, if they get a chance to relax even better for the next game as well. Um, mm-hmm. it, this, they're, they're not going to get into a situation where they um, have to dig deep down into the, you know, the depths where it's not quite as solid. So, they should be able to um, r- really leverage this. I-, I feel pretty confident about it. Like the Cardinal Mojo, I, I feel like is kind of gone. Um, not that they're not annoying, but I feel like it's more just normal baseball. They're a well-run team now versus they get a bunch of garbage um, from curses and crap like that. Um, and-, and that doesn't scare me. So um, they're coming in with legitimate handicaps to th- to this stretch, and the Brewers are smart enough that they should be able to capitalize. Um, I mean, all things rely on the offense actually putting up a run or two, but as long as that happens, I think they'll be okay. Right. Less baby sacrifices for the Cardinals means that they have less power to rely on from their dark overlord. Right. It's tough times in the, in the baby eating economy. Yeah. <laughs> so we do have some Patreon questions. Uh, Brian Polakowski has one about the doubleheaders this week. He says, since doubleheaders were already shortened, should MLB also adopt a mercy rule? Uh, to kind of get them out of the way sooner, I guess. Ryan, what are your thoughts? I don't see the point. I think it's fine. Like, just have the mercy rule that MLB has instituted already is, yeah, you can have your position players pitch. Just go do that, and that's fine. And Mm -hmm. I I don't think that you need to actually just, like, stop the game and have that end. Ten-run rule. No, the players are used to doing this sort of thing. They all know, like, the deal, and it's not this huge problem. And the game usually moves pretty swiftly at that point. Like, people are swinging. You know, guys are up, and they're swinging. (laughs) Right. And they're not trying to, like, drag out an at-bat and all that. So it's it's fine. It's just not necessary, in my opinion. Yeah, it deals with a situation that might arise, like, once every 30 years or so. So no sense making a rule for that. if they were to make a rule, it would have been fine this season. They didn't. It's whatever. It's fine. Also. I don't. Yeah. I don't want it in like instituted for the long run. Um, like this, the mercy rule is adopted because parents don't want to deal with watching their kids get blown <laughs> out. They just don't want to deal with getting yelled at. <laughs> yeah, I think to your guys' point, like these guys already know they're going to have to play five games in three days. Nobody's sitting here trying to draw out a nine pitch walk or anything. Right. So, oh, or what well, you could hit a three Oh grand slam. Also true. Also true. 
Against the Cardinals, that's okay, though. It's in the unwritten rules. Uh, Brian's got another Patreon question, uh, kind of shifting gears to the offense. And one of the few, few bright spots, he says, can you make a case for any other position player besides Jed Jerko for team MVP? Which... I don't know <laughs> if we were if we were thinking back in April, we were sitting here talking about Jed Jerko being the team MVP. I think we would expect the offense to be exactly as bad as it's been. So I don't know, Paul, any other no, takers for you? There yeah. is no, I mean, it's not even close. I mean, uh, anybody who's in the ballpark of Jerko in terms of production is a guy who's been on the team for like four days. And <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, he's not great. Uh, at hit, making contact, he's not a very—he's an okay, but not great defensive player. But he blows everybody else out of the water. I can't imagine how bad their offense would be if Jed Jericho played like normal Jed Jericho. Um, so yeah, he, I think he's clearly team MVP. <laughs> well, not even close. The problem is that he has 74 plate appearances, and it's mostly against lefties. He's playing now more on a daily basis, so that's yeah. that is changing, but. He was basically just your lefty masher, and that was his role for most of the season to this point. And so he's not like that. I think that 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 157 OPS plus is not representative because it's mostly in situations that favor him. So like once he's now exposed to a lot more right handed uh, pitching, you're going to see that go down and you're looking at it compared to you have 74 plate appearances for Jerko and like you know, 178 for, uh, for Yelich, 187 for hero. Like those guys are actually out there on a daily basis facing everybody back and forth. I think that's basically the case that you would make against Jerko is that he just hasn't had the bulk of the time to, to accrue value that way. So I was going to make, a Tyrone Taylor joke. But instead, <laughs> I have to ask, Ryan, are you watering down the one good thing? Yes, I am. The one good, one good thing. thing. <laughs> There's and one player hitting over 250 so, on this entire damn roster, and you got to tell us why it's a lie? Say. <laughs> if any other player had a split that was as good as Jerko, I might even agree with you, but none of them are mashing any side, <laughs> same or opposite. Right, so, that's true. You, you got to take what you can get here. Uh, how many, I, how many you can maybe make a this? case for, for Garcia, <laughs> I guess, would be maybe the other one who at least yeah. is getting on base at a decent clip and, you know, has been a good soldier playing center field. That's maybe the only other one. He's, he's, he has more plate appearances than Draco does. But, you know, it's not like his line is very inspiring. His OPS <laughs> is still 738. So um, but I think you got to go with the guy who bashes something. How, the guys yeah, I mean, how many plate I'll, appearances does Yelich have against right-handers who he should be just obliterating? Yeah, I mean, sure. He's had, he's had a weird I mean, season from a platoon split standpoint too. Dan Vogelbach, a 155 OPS. Plus. I was going to bring that up. <laughs> how do you deny big Dan when he's hitting 412, 474? That was my four day. Yeah. We, we can't say something good about him because he's going to go back under yeah. hitting under 100. Like the second we post this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You missed it last week when I spent a solid 10 minutes defending his honor. Yeah, you did. Paul and Ryan just sat back Stop and listened it. to me drone yeah. on. Yeah, exactly. Did you guys appreciate I, Rock has been very about Dan Vogelbach and like, why doesn't he hit better than he's hit? Because like he, he's taking the ball and hitting it the other way. Opposite he's making field singles yeah, all day. Opposite field singles. And like it, that's Rock's catnip. Yeah. So, yeah. There is one thing that Rock has been more reliable about than the no hitter who caught it. Uh, <laughs> and it's 
Oh, you'd love to see taking them all the other way. Yeah, you'd love to see this guy. You can see him going, or you can. That's a sign that he's about to get going. I remember him doing it for Bill Hall when Bill Hall was playing center field and just miserable. And he's like, "Oh, Bill Hall took it to the opposite field. You can tell he's about to get going now." And he's been saying it since then. It's what twenty-four years. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) that's fun. All right, I hadn't looked at Yelich's splits all season until this moment. Guess what his OPS is against left-handed pitchers? Just the thousand, the hundreds digits. Eight fifty against lefties. Against lefties, five something. I don't know. Ryan, what about you? Or did you pull it up and cheat? No, I I haven't pulled it up and cheating. But <laughs> okay, against way, same side. Against same side, he's hitting better. He has reverse platoon splits this year. I think. He does have reverse platoon splits. Oh yeah, he has a one thousand sixty-two OPS against <laughs> left-handed pitching. Because he's hit some, but, he's hit some dingers off of left-handed. All of pitching. his home runs. Yeah, yeah. His <laughs> so he only has forty-nine plate appearances, but his his splits against left-handed pitching are like Yelich normal. Um, it's it's all righties that are dragging him down. That's weird. It is weird, and it's also something weird. that that probably portends to that being a fluke. Probably so. <laughs> Just a quick side rant. My grandpa tried to explain to me why uh, Yelich is doing bad. <laughs> and oh. it was like the most old man baseball thing. He's, He's rich like, well, and lazy now or what? No, it was like, it wasn't quite <laughs> that bad, but he was like, <laughs> that is the type of conversation you'd expect behind you at Miller Park. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, but they were, he's like, well, now they have the book on him. I was like, Grandpa, he's been a baseball player for like, or a pro baseball player for six years. Like, he's has like six full seasons. This isn't like, like a sudden thing. He's like, but now they know how to pitch him. I was like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I, all right. Well, we, we basically learned from Ryan that Jed Jerko just hasn't disappointed us yet. So that makes him the de facto MVP. <laughs> Kind of going on to that point, he's also kind of the only free agent signing that's kind of worked out recent, uh, decently well. Uh, another Patreon question, this one from Steve DeRozier. He says, with the disappointing performance of the low-priced free agent signings this year, will the Brewers be more aggressive this offseason in pursuing some of the more high- to mid-profile free agents, like, say, JT Riomuto, Trevor Bauer, Marcus Stroman, etc.? I think I know how we're going to answer this, but Paul, go first. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're not going to do that. Um, that would cost money and money will, I mean, if maybe if the, there's a situation like there was with, um, Grandel and Moustakis where nobody makes any offers to them and they're like, Hey, we'll right. give you this crust of peanut butter and jelly sandwich if you play for us. And they're like, well, nobody else has given us anything even close to that. So sure. Um, that might, that could maybe happen, but it probably won't. So no, they will probably not do that. They will probably do the same strategy. They'll probably be like, Hey, we're due. Um, or, you know, in statistical speak, Hey, regression to the mean, this will work this time since it didn't last time. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're not going to go out and spend a bunch of money on high profile guys just because their low profile guys didn't work out. It's not their MO. They know the risks on this. They understand that sometimes this moves work and sometimes they blow up in your face and just happen to blow up in your face this year. Next time it might work. That's what they'll do. And they'll keep doing the same old thing. You'll get the Stern signings again next year. And that's what the term we'll use when we talk about them. Nope, that's a very <laughs> David Stern signing right there. Cheap guy might bounce back some things in his profile to look for. Maybe they can get him to elevate the yeah. ball a little bit more. There's some platoon splits they can work for. Lefty hit will play better in Miller Park. Uh, you, can just, <laughs> you can just put that on a podcast exactly one year from, or, you know, one year minus two months from today. And I don't have to be on that week and you can go do something else. <laughs> so, I, Paul, you're 100% right. But I think that given the way the market is 
potentially shaping up this winter. I think that it's going to be more likely that a Grandal Moustakis situation yeah. falls into their lap. So I think that there is a chance that that happens, but they're not going to do that. Like you're saying, they're not going to change their strategy. They're going to do what they always did. This winter, the market didn't materialize the way that they wanted to. And so they ended up taking these players that they did end up signing a bunch of, right? So they, they ended up doing that. But if if a, a Yasmani Grandal is there for the price that they like, unless they are in serious financial uh, negative space, like if they're if they're really looking at like uh, what they consider anyway to be like bad financial shape, then maybe they just don't have the money to do that. Period. But I think they will still be they'll be value focused like they always are. They'll they'll look for the the discounts, and if a guy is sitting there and they can be had for a good price. They'll do it. Trevor Bowers can be a goddamn brewer. Yes, he is. Like, you just spoken it into existence, and I hate you for it. I mean, he's, no. he's saying, like, oh, I like Milwaukee. It's a lot of fun. He's actively talked about, too, how he plans, once he hits the free agent market, just do one-year contracts. Yep. And oh. David Stearns is going to be like, oh, one-year, $18 million for an ace pitcher ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got that on the Stern side. You got, well, they cheered for Hater on the other side. It's a perfect fit. <laughs> oh, God. Um, no, 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 no. No, <laughs> but w- where I was actually going to go with this before that's a realization I've had for some time, but I, I like kick it out of my brain. Then I re-realize it and like have to go through that existential dread of like witnessing exactly what's going to happen and not being able to do anything about it. Um, but my main point was going to be, I just don't predict David Stearns. I, I don't know what he's going to do ever. Well, like, I the try thing to is, you do know what he's going to do. I just told you. Yeah, you do know what he's going to do because it's what he always does. Like two minutes ago. You just don't know exactly what that's going to look like, right? Like, No. He, he's not going to sign a pitcher, right? Like, we know no. like every year we're like, this is going to be the year he's going to sign a starting pitcher, and it's not. It just never is unless well, we're not it's going like to be Trevor um, <laughs> But then, like, in terms of offense – like I'll be like, well, you know, they're gonna fo- focus on first base, and if they make a big signing, it'll be that. Oh, they just signed Avi Garcia. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, they just trade for Christian Yelich, so they're no longer gonna need up. Oh, they ju- they just signed Lorenzo Cain. They have twelve oh, outfielders now. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, you know that like the third base market has this, 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 so they can probably take advantage of. Nope, nope. They they signed Chad Jericho. Okay, like you can predict that using his past, but then he just does whatever the hell he feels like anyway, or whatever Mark's feeling like cutting the check for that day. We can be like, okay, based on them doing A, B, and C, like we can really see them doing D. And then they're like, screw you, Z. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is like an either or thing. I could see them see, uh, you know, giving JT Real Muto an $18 million pillow contract or, you know, kind of going the route Paul said, and, you know, here's freaking Jake Lamb and uh, Blake Trainin <laughs> or something like that, you know? like They will never sign Blake Trainin. He's had a great year this year. He signed for $10 million after a bad year. Don't even put that into the world because this is never happening. <laughs> hey, a free agent reliever, more than $4 million? Not no, claim him off the waivers? What are you but thinking, yeah, whatever, whatever the David Phelps is, and then get three lottery tickets. But, yeah, I... I don't know. I, I don't know what Jake Lamb is hitting at Miller Park. Uh, <laughs> he's going to Oakland now, by the way. So, oh, God. Uh, he's he's going to be a great be... bounce back can, yeah. candidate next yeah, year. So. This works. Yep. But now that I know that they aren't signing a free agent pitcher, 
They're gonna sign twelve. Yeah. Nah. yeah. <laughs> like nah, they're gonna know. get Strowman and Bauer. It's just that's how the <laughs> stupid system works. They're like, you know, Lindblom's look really well as a reliever. We don't need to do that anymore. We might as well sign Strowman and Bauer to a one-year deal because they're not gonna get long or like favorable long-term deals right now anyway. And then we're going yeah. to have freaking Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff. Bauer and Strowman next year, and Make it's going to be amazing. Play not a pitching, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's, it's gonna. It. I don't know. I don't right. know. I like. I can't predict this guy. Like Paul's statement is more true than not, <laughs> but he's gonna do something that like you're like okay, it's gonna be exciting, and you don't know why. It's never it happened. rumored. Yeah, it, yeah. It's oh, never it, rumored. It definitely it comes yeah. out of nowhere. Always. Oh yeah, and it's yeah. always the right jab to the face. Where. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we got one more question, then we'll get out of here for the day. Uh, Darren Jones on Patreon brings up Luis Urias, who's kind of looked really good defensively, but I guess recently he's he kind of clarified that he sees Urias's future at shortstop. There was a quote in the Journal Sentinel saying he's a shortstop, and ultimately I think that's where you'll see him in the future as shortstop. So Darren is wondering, uh, Brad, what does this mean for Orlando Arcia, his future, despite his modest improvements this year? Uh, I think that they see infield depth that they have and they say, Hey, couldn't we get something back for Orlando Arcia? Which no, you can't because there's good shortstops all over the league now. <laughs> but I think that's potentially what they're looking at is, you know, you can trade them before you got to play, pay them like awesome. Doesn't that sound great? That's it, as much as I can't predict David Stearns, I can predict him when you get rid of people before he pays them more than what he thinks their war is worth. And I guarantee you, he thinks that, Orlando Arcia's war is worth less than $2 million, even with the modest improvements that we've seen. Yeah, probably. I think that they are, they're always willing to change on the fly. And I think that the, when he says ultimately, I think that's where you'll see him in the future is shortstop. Well, that's very non-committal. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of uh, caveats there. So for right now with Orlando Arcia on the team and doing well, it makes more sense to have him be a super utility guy. We've seen him at third. We've seen him at second. We've seen him at short. Like it makes more sense in the moment to do that, but they'll always be looking. And I don't think RC is going to get such a bump in salary this off season in arbitration that he needs to be like be moved off the team. Maybe probably I'm, not. Yeah, no, probably no. not. I, I agree with that. Uh, and that should be like my thing is like, I, I don't think he's going to get a substantial bump in arbitration. And like uh, Ryan was kind of alluding to, Urias has five years to control RCS mm-hmm. too. Eventually there right. will almost definitely be a team without Orlando Arcia. Mm-hmm. Right. That's just how this works. Unless yep. Orlando Arcia wants to sign a five-year extension for like a million dollars a year. And yep. David starts to be like, hey, awesome, sure. fantastic. We love yep. that. But he won't, so not a problem. It's one of those things, too, where Arcia, modest increase this year, but really, not really. He's still pretty terrible, and you don't worry about guys like that on the back end of the roster. You just have them around until they ask for a raise, and then you say, um, sorry, so long, see you later, because you are the most easily replaceable person in baseball. So That's where it is. <laughs> right. Uh, reminder, we had a lot of good questions this week, by the way, so thank you for those. If you have something that you want us to talk about, we put out a call for questions every week on our Twitter account. That's at MKE tailgate. Just reply to that tweet with your question or sign up and become a patron. You get question priority that way. You can also follow each of us on Twitter and send us questions directly. Ryan is at RD top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. 
Brad is at Brew Crew Blue, and I'm at James L, James with a Y, or Yames, as we talked about last week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave a review, help other people find the podcast, and let us know how we're doing. In the meantime, thanks for listening this week. We ran a little long. It's all good. Hopefully, we've got a lot of good things to talk about next week. Stay well, and we'll see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.